Good morning. Uh, my name is David Soren. I'm the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. You know, I think one of the most uh, difficult things about being exhausted is you're too exhausted to, well, stop being exhausted. <laughs> okay, it's like, y- y- imagine you're lying in bed in the morning and your alarm clock goes off, right? But you're still exhausted. Like, you know you should do something about it. Like, you've got to get up for the day, you've got to get to work, but you're too exhausted to do something about your exhaustion. <laughs> it's like if you had the energy to fix it, then you wouldn't still be lying in bed. And I've always felt like that's a pretty good summary of where a lot of us are in our lives in 2019. And yet, as we said last week, if we're actually going to walk out of exhaustion, at some point we need to press the pause button on our lives and start asking the bigger questions. Like, what is it that I'm really living for? And are all of these things that are exhausting me, are they actually worth living for? Well, this morning, what we want to do is we want to start getting into the details of how you can begin to reprioritize your life, and as a result, live in rest and not in exhaustion. Because life in 2019 is not easy, right? We go from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. You go from work some of you to work again, right, to activities, to school. And nowadays, and this is where it's different than I would say even 30 years ago, so much of the time we fill even those extra spare moments we have, we fill them with things, specifically a technology. Like if you were to actually track, because someone followed you around for 24 hours and actually tracked how you spent every minute of one day, I think it would be shocking to most of us how we fill in even what we would afford before, you know, 10 years ago, what we would actually call spare moments. Like, think about this. Do you know what people used to do when they would just walk out to their car? They would just walk out to their car, right? <laughs> Nowadays, I see this all the time at the office building that we office out of, right? People walk out to their car like this. Like the quick nod. Oh, sorry. <laughs> like the quick nod, right? We do this. You know what people used to do at a stoplight? Nothing. <laughs> they just stopped, right? Now, next time you're at a stoplight, even on the way home today, I want you to look over to the car next to you, and what you're going to see, even if people have five seconds nowadays, right? It's like, I, got, I, got, I, got, I could use these five seconds right now. Like, I could check the weather or whatever we do. You know what people used to do while they ate dinner? They ate dinner, <laughs> and they talked to each other. Now, I just saw this in a poll this week. 40% of parents say that devices are a major problem at the dinner table. Uh, you know what people used to do in the bathroom? Uh, okay. <laughs> now, okay, think about this. Especially since the I- invention of the iPhone in, in 2007, we have begun this thing where we fill up every spare moment. We don't have these moments anymore where we just kind of sit or you stare out the window. And because we're filling up every spare moment, our brains, our bodies, they never actually calm down. They never actually rest. And so we we don't have time, or at least we say that we don't have time, for really what are the more important things of life. And I, I think a lot of us have been living this way for years now. And if we're totally honest, we don't actually love it. But we're just stuck in it. See, I would say, and this is a major theme of this series, I would say one of the reasons that we're just stuck in it is because we haven't stopped and actually defined a purpose for our lives. Now, thankfully, the Bible gives us a purpose for life, which is really important. So let's take a look together. There's a Bible under every chair. I want you to take a look at this. 
because it's the word of God. It's powerful. So go ahead and pick that up. Uh, We're going to be on page 145. This way, when you pick it up, you can have it in front of you. You can look at it yourself. You can go back to it. Or you can uh, use the Renovation Church app, just have Bible and weekly verses. Uh, We're going to be in the Old Testament today, so page 145. The Old Testament is the first half of the Bible. Uh, Contextually here, Moses has just led the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, and they're about to enter the Promised Land. But before they get there, he gives them a warning. He's worried that when they get there, they're going to forget about God. So look at this. This is Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 10 on page 145. Here's what he says. He says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord, who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Okay, so Moses is saying, you guys are going to get into the promised land. You're going to be so blessed with so many things. He's saying there's a chance that your affluence will lead to amnesia. And, And you'll forget what life is truly about because you'll be distracted by all of the things. That's what he's saying. See, I fear that that is us in America. We've kind of forgotten the main purpose of life. Now, just before this warning, same chapter, he tells them how they can avoid this, how they can make sure that they have the right purpose for life. So go back now to verse 4, same page. 4 is kind of the little number there. He says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, you want this to sort of saturate, to permeate your life. So Moses is saying that really your purpose in life is to know and love God. That's the purpose of every single person. Uh, For those of you that are parents in this room, your purpose is to know and love God and then pass along that knowledge and love to your kids. Now, that may sound right to you. It may sound really good to you, but it's hard to do. You know, living like that is what I would call the philosophy of living in light of eternity. But I think most of us tend to live for what's right in front of us. Like we live for our careers, We live for money. We live just to be liked by people. And so our our purpose, our focus, tends to be more on just the here and now. If you're a parent, right, a lot of our parenting tends to just be about what's right in front of us, right? If you've got preschoolers, and I said, what are you trying to do in parenting? A lot of us would just say, I'm just trying to get my preschooler to listen to anything I say. Like, that would be a win right now. If you've got elementary, middle school kids, maybe you're just, everything's focused on getting them ready for the next test or the next game. If you've got high school students, maybe it's just trying to get them into college and everything is just focused on that. But let me tell you, one of the best things you can do is press pause on your life and ask, what is my purpose? Uh, for those of you with families, ask, okay, 
what, what is our purpose as parents? What, here's a hard question. What would an objective observer, if they came and watched your life for a week, what would they say is your main goal in parenting if they just watched your schedule for a week? And I, I think for many of us, they would probably answer that it looks like, just by what we do, which is more important than what we say, it looks like our main goal in parenting is to help our kids do well in sports or do well in school or one day get a good career. Now again, those are nice things, okay? It's great. Go get it. But if that's your purpose in parenting, it's actually a short-sighted purpose. Because remember, we're only on this earth for a blink of an eye and then we'll be somewhere else for the rest of eternity. Uh, for the parents in the room, let me ask you a question. Okay, if your kid, let's say, gets into Harvard, and they become a CEO of some company someday, but they don't follow Jesus, will you be happy as a parent? See, it's only in Jesus Christ that they're going to find the fulfillment the relationship that their hearts really crave. It's only in Jesus that they can find forgiveness, truth, and eternity. It's by believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins. It's by becoming a follower of his. Like, and if, if, if that's what it's all about, then we need to parent in light of eternity, not just in light of the things that are right in front of us. So as a parent, you want to do everything that you can in terms of priorities, to foster this sort of environment where your kids are going to, like Moses said, that they're going to grow up to love the Lord, their God, with all their souls, all their strength, all their minds. So if that's your primary purpose, to know and love God, I think my question for you is, how do you need to begin to restructure your life? This is a, it's a hard question. But I believe that if you do it and you begin to restructure your lives around this biblical teaching, you'll find that it's not only a lot more fulfilling, but actually leads to a lot less exhaustion. And it all begins with intentional reprioritization. Let me show you something. All right, you see this, this jar here? Can you see this? All right, let's start filling this up. I brought some. Anybody like tennis? None of you. All right. See, you just need more activity in your life. Okay, let's, let's begin to fill this up, okay? Now, as you look at this, you know, if we're trying to just get to this, this top line here, we can look at this and say, yep, this is basically full, right? It's even going a little bit above. You might look at this and say, oh, yeah, it's full. But is it full? Eh, not completely. What if we do this? I, guess I brought some rocks, Okay. So let's, let's just begin to see if we can get anything else in here. Oh, this is great. See, it wasn't actually full. Oh, plenty of cracks everywhere. We can fill this in. Okay. All right. Are we full? I don't think so. I don't think we're full. How about some sand? Okay. Let's see what we can do. See, we weren't actually full because... Even within the rocks, there's still more cracks. There's still more space to begin to just fill this in. There's plenty of space. Let's just fill in some more sand here, see what we can do. 
All right, almost done. Okay, now I will ask you, are we full? Not full? I don't think we're full. Let's put some water in, right? It's still going down. You can see it right now. I just splashed, sorry. And you can actually see the water going in because there's more cracks that you can actually begin to fill in. Now I spilled a lot. Uh oh. It's okay. We only have two more services. All right. You can just probably watch that go down. Now I want you to think about this. I want you to pretend that this jar is your life. And the tennis balls, the things that we put in first, let's say they represent the important things. Like the things that will matter for all of eternity. So the tennis balls are things like your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's going to matter for all of eternity. It's like knowing God's word, the Bible. It's going to matter for all of eternity. Now let's say the rocks are like the second most important things in your life. So this is like your family. It's your close friends. Spending time with them. It's, it's your relationships. Those are just key things in life, right? But once we start getting to the sand, these are more of the peripheral things in life. I think sand is a good, represent, a good representation of sand is like just all the busy things we throw in our lives, like our, our busyness, our activities, our, our sports, all the things that we just sort of fill in, our hobbies. It's like they're, they're great, they're nice, but they're probably not even going to matter 10 years from now, let alone 10 million years from now. And the water, what fills in all the tiny little crevices that are left, the water is meant for like the spare moments of your life. And honestly, for most of us in America, a good representation of that nowadays is, is this, right? It's, it's our phone, it's technology, it's entertainment. Again, things that don't even, for the most part, matter even beyond tomorrow. Now, here's the problem. For most Americans nowadays we're starting, in terms of what we're filling our lives with, we start with filling in sand. All the activities, all the busyness, and then we fill it with a whole lot of water. Right? All the entertainment and just kind of the mindless things that we fill in our lives. Right? We fill our lives with sports knowledge. We fill our lives, our days, with trying to look on Instagram and see what everybody else had for lunch. Right, we fill our lives with, as we've been saying, the studies say 50 hours of entertainment a week. And so because we never thought critically to stop and say, okay, what's my purpose? Many Americans are starting to fill their jar with sand and water. Right? And now I want you to imagine this. Okay, let's say this was full of like a little bit of sand and a whole lot of water. And then I said, now I'm going to take a tennis ball. I'm going to begin to bring God in. But my life is just full of water and sand. If this is full of water and I try and put a tennis ball in here, what's going to happen? It's just going to float right out. There's no room for it. And see, I think that's exactly why so many Americans haven't truly sought out God, even though they're actually kind of interested in them. They're just saying, it just feels like I don't have the time to go on that sort of search for God because my life just feels like it's already so full of stuff. We're exhausted already, but we're exhausted because we've prioritized the wrong things first. 
See, but if you fill it with the right things first, you start with the first things and you put God in and you put your family in, you'll see that when you start in the right order, there still is room for those other things too, but you need to start with the first things first. So honestly, I think one of the best things you can do this week is to sit down and say, okay, if my first priority is supposed to be to know and love God, what does that mean for my life and how I should spend my time? What does that mean for my kid's life and how they should spend their time? I'll just warn you right now, if you actually do that exercise and you say, I'm going to begin to restructure my life to put the first things first, you're going to have to dare to be different because you're not going to look like most people in American culture. But I can promise you that you'll have significantly more rest if you put first things first. Now, I, I, just, I don't have time this morning to talk through all the implications of both kind of sand and water. So I, what I want to do this morning is I want to talk a little bit more about the water. That's kind of the technology that we just fill our lives with. And then this week in house groups, we're going to talk about the sand. That's all the busyness and activities, uh, particularly all the busyness and activities with our kids. So make sure that you're at your house group this week. If you're not in a house group, uh, you can sign up at the table for one. Uh, there's only two weeks left, but you could test it out, all right? That'd be great. Now, before we dive into kind of the implications of filling our lives with water and technology, let me just first say that, okay, technology in and of itself, so tablets, TVs, phones, devices, it's, it's not inherently bad, right? You can use technology for great good, but we need to learn to put technology in its proper place. As we've said, you can't add the tennis balls, the spiritual, the eternal things, when your jar is already full of water. Okay, so let's say you want to add some important things. Okay, uh, like next week, we're going to start our signups for our Renovation U classes. Those are free classes that we offer all summer long so people can begin to learn and study the Bible. And let's say, I want to be back next week. I want to sign up for one of those. You're thinking about that. Or maybe you've been thinking about, I just want to volunteer somewhere. Or maybe you've been thinking about, I just want to start reading the Bible again or for the first time. Or for some of you in this room, maybe you've been here three weeks in a row and you're starting to think, what would it look like if my family, even though we don't normally go to church, if my family made this kind of like a habit and we came here each week? Now, if you're thinking through those things, often our response in 2019 is, yes, that would be good, but I just don't think I could because I'm so crazy busy. I'm exhausted. But what are we exhausted from? How many of you in here have an iPhone? Raise your hand if you have an iPhone. All right, maybe half of you, two-thirds of you. You get that, like, I get mine on Sunday morning. You get, like, that screen time report, right? And it says, your iPhone usage has been up 10% this week. You know what a lot of people say after that? They say, you've been on your phone an average of four hours and 15 minutes a day. There's so many people that are at four hours, five hours a day. Here's the thing. If your jar is full of water, you won't have room for what your life is really about. So how can you begin to put technology in its proper place? How can you begin to master it instead of letting it master you? So I want to give you a number of principles to do this, particularly related to this technology piece. A few of these are from a phenomenal book that I recently read. I want to just throw this up on the screen for you. Go ahead and take a picture of this if you want to write it down. I want to highly recommend this book to you, especially if you have kids. This is so good. It's called The TechWise Family by Andy Crouch. So in his book... 
he outlines 10 principles of what he calls tech-wise commitments. And I want to share a few of them with you this morning. So one of his commitments is this for their family. They'll say, we use screens for a purpose. And we use them together rather than using them aimlessly or alone. Uh, We said this last week, you know, so many times we just each go off kind of into our own rooms or our own areas, and we try and rest with our devices, but they don't actually give us rest. And when families do this, and maybe your family is like this, everybody just isolates into their own place, we miss this opportunity to connect with each other. So what would it look like to begin curtailing the isolated use of devices in your house? Like, yes, use technology, but use it in its proper place. Technology can, can be great, even together, right? You can FaceTime a relative. Uh, you can all look up something on Wikipedia that you're curious about. Uh, YouTube is phenomenal for if you're, if you're building something with one of your kids and you want to watch like a video tutorial. I mean, that stuff's great, but let's be honest. The vast majority of what we use technology for is just like mindless scrolling, right? Uh-huh, oh, heart, uh-huh, right? Or just watching something. And when we do that, we're missing out on what God has for us. Because our jars are just full of water. Our kids are missing out on valuable time and conversations with us. Because both of us, in some cases, are addicted to our screens. Uh, it's like the mom, I don't know if you saw this, uh, it was in the news and on social media a couple years ago, the mom who tracked per hour how many times her toddlers looked at her. I don't know if you saw this. So every time, you know, the toddler would say like, hey, mom, look what I did, or just looking to her to tell her something. And she figured out that her toddlers were looking at her 28 times an hour. And she was in the space where she was just on her phone all the time. She was addicted to her phone. And she said it was so convicting for her because she realized that 28 times an hour, they were seeing that she was choosing this over them. And it's in those moments, often it's just in the random moments where we have an opportunity to shape their lives with a purpose. But you can't do that if your life is full of sand and water. Do you remember uh, Moses earlier in that passage? He says, okay, our purpose is to know and love God. But how does he say that we let it trickle down to our kids? Look at these verses again, uh, verse, verse 7. He says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and uh, when you get up. I I love this passage because it's this beautiful combination of what I would call routine and spontaneity. Okay, so Moses says, talk to your kids about this when you lie down and when you get up. You know what that implies? That implies prioritization. It implies routine, a, a, a schedule, right? And so, because you're parenting now in light of eternity, okay, not just earthly success or technological distraction, because you're prioritizing, prioritizing and, and parenting in light of eternity, you prioritize the tennis balls first in their schedule. And so even something like coming to church becomes a priority. And I get it, a ton of you maybe aren't used to that, but I would just tell you, a huge chunk of this church didn't even go to church two years ago. And so this is an incredibly different kind of church. And I encourage you, just keep seeking God out. For those of you that have been here for a while, and you're actually following Jesus Christ, let me give you, that group of people in particular, a next step. If you're not doing it yet, 
and you have kids, I think one of the best things you can do is begin reading the Bible to your kids every day. Especially if you have young kids, this is, this is a great thing to do. So in our family, we've been doing this basically since the kids uh, came out of the womb. It's like our bedtime routine, you know? So every, every night, it's brush teeth, books, Bible, bed. That sounds like a great Daniel Tiger episode. Now I said it out loud. <laughs> because it's just, it's in, it's in their routine. One of the things you can do is get like a great kid's Bible. Let me recommend a couple uh, to you. You can just order it off Amazon if you want or write it down. Jesus Storybook Bible is a phenomenal Bible for kids. Great stories, great pictures. Actually, my personal favorite for kids is uh, what's called the Read and Share a Bible. It's 200 stories in it. It's just the quick stories. It really helps kids just learn. Get something like If your kids are older, you're going, oh, well, I've got a 14-year-old right now. <laughs> I'm sure they love the pictures, but you know, just crack open a regular Bible with them. But if you're going, I don't even know what it says. Great. Just be humble. Say, I don't really know, but I just want us to start searching for God together. Pick, we have Bible reading plans out in the hallway. They're on our app too. I'll pick one up and you can start together. Start looking for God together. Listen, here's what's so great when you begin to put the devices away and you begin to establish this routine. Tennis ball-like routine as a family. When you establish routine, your kids then begin to naturally ask questions. Like they'll ask questions that'll blow you away (laughs) as you read. And then before you know it, what happens is they start to ask questions about God at random times. And that's what's so powerful. Okay, that's what Moses is talking about when he says, talk about it when you just sit at home or when you just walk along the road. That's the spontaneous part. Here's a principle in parenting that I think is really helpful. Routine leads to spontaneity. So what that means is, okay, when you make God this sort of tennis ball priority in your routine, he actually starts to become just spontaneously a normal part of your regular conversation on and off. But we've got to make space for both the routine and even, I would say, we need to make space for the, spontane- uh, for the spontaneous. Uh, one of Andy Crouch's uh, commitments I think is really helpful on this aspect. So one of the things he says is car time is conversation time. So in the book, he says, in their family, they ban devices, both at the dinner table and in the car. And here's why. As a parent, some of you have seen this. Some of your best and most spiritual and deepest conversations with your kids will come in the car on the way to Walmart, right? Or to school. It's just these random times where conversation starts. But I think the challenge is, and you can see this when you're looking at other people's cars nowadays, especially with kids. Everybody's just on their phone. Every passenger's on their phone, teenagers in the back, earbuds in, and everybody's just locked in their devices. But Moses says, hey, just talk about it when you walk along the road. Now, we don't walk along the road a whole lot anymore, but we sure drive along the road. And so you want to make space as a parent so there's even space for the spontaneous. So you can just have strong, normal, great conversations with your kids. I just want to tell you, when you purposely decide to put the tennis balls in first, you begin to put things like technology in their proper place, You've got room for God to really work in your family. Let me tell you a quick story. In in, in January uh, 2007, there was this man 
He was dressed in a, a, a long sleeve, a t-shirt, jeans, baseball hat. And he walked up to this a popular, extremely popular train station in Washington, D.C., and he just began to play his violin. And over a period of 43 minutes, he played six classical pieces. Now, somebody was tracking this, and during those 43 minutes, 1,097 people walked by this guy playing these classical songs. 1,097 people walked by, and only seven stopped for any length of time to listen to him. Seven out of 1,097. Now, it turns out this was actually a social experiment that was conducted by a local magazine. The violinist was renowned virtuoso Joshua Bell, who was performing on a three and a half million dollar violin that was built in 1713. Like, this guy is so good, so famous, that people would have literally paid thousands of dollars to be that close to him hearing that sort of music. Seven of 1,097 people even stopped. Okay, so let me tell you something. The God of the universe wants you to know him and his love. And what he wants to do, what he wants to say and speak into your life is of incalculable worth to you. But most of us have just been too busy to notice. And our lives are just full of sand and water. Our schedules are bogged down in activities. Our heads are are buried in our devices, and we walk right past him. And we're missing what he has for us. Don't miss it any longer. Put him first. You will never regret it. It will change your life. Let me pray. Lord, I just, uh, I thank you for, God, just what you're doing in our church. I pray that you begin to just move mountains in so many lives here, that we would be a people that God puts you first, that take these sort of tennis ball-like things and schedule them first and put them in first and then make time for everything else. And God, may you just revolutionize, may you renovate this city, this county, because of what you're doing through us as a people. It's in your name we pray. Amen.